0: Hello, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton, and I lead the Justice, Equity, and Opportunity Initiative. Welcome to my podcast series, Walk, Listen, Learn, Our Journey to Justice. Why a podcast? Well, I wanted to combine three things I love, walking, listening, and learning, as the title suggests. I'm also passionate about people and finding engaging ways to discuss issues. So thanks for joining me. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about housing justice and its importance to helping people live independently. And we'll also explore the supports for accessible and integrated housing. My guest today is Adam Ballard. Adam is the Housing and Transportation Policy Analyst at Access Living, where he develops legislative policy priorities and messaging around housing, transportation, and related planning issues. He is also currently a board member of the Chicago Area Fair Housing Alliance. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for
1: having me, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have this conversation because there is a phrase that I have heard um, sort of in my role as Lieutenant Governor, but also as I've been doing justice work. And it's one of the most profound phrases that I've ever heard, and that is that housing is healthcare. Like I had never thought about it like that, but it made so much sense about the importance of housing and its connection to just overall health and well-being. So housing is healthcare. So the idea that when we talk about housing, it is not just about having a roof over your head. I mean, that's what I'm gathering, right. and and we all know. Um, but what does housing justice really mean? And really, why do we even have to have um kind of think through housing through this justice lens? Yeah, that's
1: a really good question. And and I think that that phrase that, that you mentioned, housing is healthcare, it is striking. And, and and I think for those of us who think about housing a lot, it's um it, it kind of expresses our belief that like housing is the basis from which every other positive outcome in a person or family's life springs, right? Right. So housing is healthcare, but housing also makes good education possible, makes good employment outcomes possible. Um, Without housing, you know, you're not going to have good outcomes in any part of your life. So um, I definitely agree that housing is health care, but it's also those other things to me as well.
0: Yeah. So what we say with the justice equity and opportunity initiative is that justice is not just policing jails and prisons. It is education. It is housing. It is access to health care, including mental health care. It is all of those things, you know, economic opportunity, the things mm-hmm. that you just mentioned. And so I'm seeing this tie. So when we talk about housing justice, uh, what do you mean by that? What does that phrase mean to you?
1: So housing justice for me is is an acknowledgement of that fact that, um, you know, housing is the baseline for all positive outcomes in a person or, or family's life. And, you know, if you, if you frame that in, the sense, in, a, in a justice framework, it means that, if 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 housing is stable and if those other outcomes are flowing from that and someone's getting the health care and mental health care they need, um, someone's, you know, a, a family is re- re- receiving educational economic opportunity that they need, then th- that means that, you know, th- their involvement with the criminal justice system will hopefully be, be minimized, right? Mm-hmm. But it also means justice in the larger sense of the word that we're l- moving towards a world where everyone has... The same opportunity for success as everyone else does, right? Um, you know, I, 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 you know, we'll probably hit on this in, in our further discussion. But for me, a, a big part of achieving housing justice is offering real choice to everybody, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, someone, everyone should have access to the same range of choices in their housing as anyone else does, mm-hmm. regardless of you know, race, gender, sexual identity, um, income level, wealth level. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not you have a disability. Um, so when when we are seeing a world that at least in some ways gives folks from a wide variety of backgrounds
0: um, real choice in housing, then I
1: think we're moving closer to housing justice.
0: So I like the way that you talk about that because you talked about, at least from what I heard, is that having housing can keep people out of the justice system. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other framework of people having access to choice, and that is another way that justice is seen in the realm of housing. So I think when you talk about choice, certainly what one thing that comes to mind, and it might not be the only thing that comes to mind, uh, but one thing that I think comes to many people's minds is affordable housing. Is the housing affordable? If it's affordable then you have choice because then more people could be able to afford it and make sure that they have um, you know, housing and a roof over their head. But there may be other barriers to housing. So mm-hmm. what are, besides affordability, and that may be the biggie, but what else are some barriers to housing?
1: Yeah, affordability is definitely the biggie, I think, for, for all communities, right? We're in the midst of, and we've been in the midst since way before the pandemic, of an affordable, of a housing affordability crisis. Um, that's been just true for a long time now in this country, um, and, and it, it goes hand in glove really with, with the homelessness crisis, right? You wouldn't have a homelessness crisis if you didn't also have a housing affordability crisis. So
0: let me pause right mm-hmm. there because, again, some people may think that a housing crisis or affordable housing crisis is the issue of homelessness, but they're not the same. No,
1: they're, they're not always the same. Um, again, they, 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 they um, I think they have some correlation, but they're not the same. Um, and, and, and really, it comes again to what we're talking about with choice. If, if, if folks don't have, because of, of their income level or, or the level of wealth that they have, don't have access to the same range of choice in their housing options as other folks do, then that's going to, I think, limit, again, possible outcomes. It's, it's going to make more likely that they have involvement not with the justice system but but lose it's about it's about opening doors to poverty right that's Mm -hmm. that's also underlining what we're talking about Mm -hmm. um when your when your choices are narrowed the 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 odds of falling into poverty are higher right so what what does
0: so what does so you hear these phrases homelessness Mm -hmm. housing insecure can you talk a little bit about what those the differences in these phrases for those who may not know what the distinction might be?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, when I th- when I think of, of people, individuals or families who are housing insecure, I think of folks who are probably stably, well, somewhat stably housed, but at a high risk of losing that housing. Right. So th- these are folks who are at risk of becoming homeless or, or, or houseless. And then when you think of, of people who are actually homeless, um, you know the. the I think the, the vision a lot of us see in our mind's eye is the people on the street or the people in, in shelters, but it's also people who are living doubled up with family, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sleeping on someone's sleeping couch, Sleeping on someone's for example. couch,
1: yeah. So th- th- there's, 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 it's been possible, and before I, I started working at Access Living, I actually worked um, in homeless education mm-hmm. with homeless families at CPS. And, you know, the, the, it's... It's been possible for the homelessness crisis to kind of be invisible because of that. Because so many people are do have some kind of roof over their head. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not home because it's not theirs. They didn't choose it, right? And, and again, because they don't have control in that situation, because they didn't have choice in that situation, home is not the base for those, those positive life outcomes we talked about at the beginning for those folks.
0: Yeah, when you talked about education and health care and all of those things that when you have a roof over your head, it's easier to access those. Right. And that's justice.
1: That's justice, right. Um, and, and again, and for, for me, it all starts with affordability because when, you don't, when you're not able to afford um, the same range of choices, then your choices begin to be limited and we start to slide towards, towards more negative outcomes.
0: So one of the things that you said, Adam, is that people should have the ability to make choices. Um, regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of race, ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic status or whether or not they have a disability, all of these different factors. And I know here throughout the state of Illinois we have um, what are really larger sort of apartment complexes or group homes that have accommodations for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of uh, zero in uh, what are some of the things that you would say are the positive aspects of those types of structures or accommodations? And what are some of the things that you would say are some of the challenges?
1: Yeah. Um, before I talk about pros and cons of those kinds of settings, I, I want to back up just a, a minute and, sure. and talk about why I think those those places exist in the first place. Okay. So when we are talking about barriers just now, a barrier that I didn't mention um, because affordability is such a a thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. Um, but the reason why those kinds of settings exist in the first place is because we don't really have a housing system that's geared for people with disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Either the housing stock we have is is physically inaccessible. So for people like me, um, I use a wheelchair, so mm-hmm. I can't physically access a lot of housing, right? Mm-hmm. But even for people with other kinds of disabilities, we have a housing system that doesn't accommodate them. You know, if, if someone with a mental illness, it, it, it's harder to maintain tenancy. Right? if a lot of times if you have mental illness it's just gonna make complying with with elites and things like that more difficult not mm-hmm. impossible but more difficult um, and, and again people with all, all kinds of cognitive um, intellectual disabilities have have similar similar challenges and so, do you mean it wasn't
0: yeah. thought of in that way from yeah, the beginning
1: so, right so 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 much of the both the, the physical housing stock we have is is pretty old for the most part mm-hmm. but then also the, the the system that creates housing right is also based in a lot of um older assumptions. Right. Right. About who people are and what they need and what they can do. So I I I think that we still have a housing system beyond just the sticks and bricks of it, the you know, the, the actual physical housing mm-hmm. where housing providers and people who finance housing still are stuck in a way of thinking that that leaves out people with disabilities. So sure. that's why the the settings that you're talking about exist, whether they're group homes or or segregated um like like a uh apartment buildings that are set aside just for people with disabilities. Um, you know, it could be assisted living or supportive housing. Um, that's why those things exist. And, and as far as what's good and bad, I, I think what's what's good in some of those settings is that the support you need is there, mm-hmm. more often than not. I mean, there are, like anything else, there there are also bad actors in the house, in the disability housing space, right, who aren't giving people what they need. But hopefully, most often, mm-hmm. what you need is there as far as support. Um, and, and I think that in the best of circumstances, those places can be a place where people develop a sense of community with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we people can support each other. Sure. Um, what we see in the in disability community a lot is we find ways to support each other because everyone's needs and abilities are so different that even though I might myself have a disability, I can support someone else and their disability because what I'm good at allows me to help with them with that, right? Sure. So we see communities of, again in the best case scenarios, we see communities of support grow up um, in, in these kind of places. The problem though is comes in when, again, there's not usually choice in that matter, mm-hmm. right? Um, most folks don't choose to be in a group home or choose to be in a disability um, apart, a disability-only apartment building. Um, some might find reasons to say once they're there and again choice would dictate that we let them But a lot of folks do, do want something else. We we hear from people who are living in those kinds of facilities. It's like I want to live You know, I want to live near family or friends or neighbors mm-hmm. who you know, who might not necessarily have a disability but support me in other ways um, Or I just want to live in this specific neighborhood, you know, or town or whatever it might be But can't find and, and, and it can't find anything, right? So um, again, the, the bottom line for for me personally, but also our community, is choice. So um, we want folks to be able to choose options other than those settings if they want to. Um, and again, if, if they do really want those settings, you know, we, we'll find ways to to support them. But um, it's it's really about
0: people. Kind of like self determination. Yeah, like it I, is self determination. It's putting I'm the prison I'm deciding person where, I, yeah, where yeah I wanna, where I want to where I want to be or what kind of setting or and it's fine if you choose. The you know, the 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 specific types of housing, but I want to be able to, like you said, have a choice. Right. And so, what's an alternative? Can you talk a little bit about sort of what integrative or integrated housing really means? Or
1: yeah. So so an integrated housing approach kind of th- thinks the opposite of of the thinking that brought us to where we are today. It, it says that people with disabilities, just like anyone else, have their own. Know, their own strengths, weaknesses, things they they bring to the community, things they want, mm-hmm. and and we should just we should house them like we would anyone else. We should accommodate them. We should build a lot more housing that's physically accessible. For instance, we should make sure that even people who don't need physical accessibility are being accommodated in their disability. Right. So we need to change the attitudes of landlords and other housing providers. Maybe in some cases to be more accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's the idea that we shouldn't because when we build disability only housing it becomes a reason to perpetuate leaving people out right of other de- kinds of development so it's easier to build more and more new housing that isn't accessible when you know that in the back of your mind oh but we're still building disability housing right mm-hmm. so we want we want every new development whether it's you know a multi-family apartment building or a, a community of single family homes to really consider from the design phase, right, how can we include people with disabilities in this community? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things we've done in the past that have left them out, and how can we... Be inclusive. Right, not do those things going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, there's another, you know, I, this, when you talk about choice, and, and I'm really, re- it's resonating with me because I think one of the big components of justice really is choice in many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, knowing that there are options that, and oftentimes when people don't have options and don't have choice, as you've already pointed out so well, that can lead to, you know, leading to the justice system often. I wanna talk about sort of like what's been happening, I I was gonna say in our country, but really across the globe, around racial justice, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all around the state of illinois both in big cities and small towns all across the country all across the world um, the cries for racial justice have really been amplified and um, when you think about access to affordable housing when you think about integrated housing as you just spoke about i wonder if you could talk a little bit sort of um, as we close out our conversation about the challenges that are specifically faced by communities of color or our undocumented community. And I'm just going to say that, um, you know, I think about sort of the intersections of a a lot of these issues and um, identities, really. And I don't know if it's always so clear that one might have an impact on the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of like, just thinking about it, I'm not sure if somebody would say, oh, yeah, when you think about it, uh, access to integrated housing, this is how it's ch- specifically challenged by being in the undocumented community or a community of color. Can you talk a little bit about like how these things are all tied and?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I I, I think that those conversations you're talking about are so, so important and in, in a lot of places obviously, you know, long overdue. I think that there's conversations happening around intersections like you're talking about. Um, like within within communities and then a, a across communities like you said. So for instance like disability community itself has kind of had well is in the midst of I'll say <laughs> like again an overdue reckoning mm-hmm. with with race, race intersections in our mm-hmm. community right. Um, traditionally um, the disability community which is a pretty young justice focused community we've really only been around as like a movement since about the 60s or so mm-hmm. but um, our leaders, like a you know, I, I think there's some parallels with like the LGBT community as well, right? For a long time, our leaders were were white folks, still are to a large extent. Uh, you know, I, I'm a white cisgender man, so I, I'm in a wheelchair, and for a long time, that was the face of our movement, right? Was mm-hmm. was white dudes in wheelchairs, <laughs> sometimes white women, but mostly white people in wheelchairs. All right. Um, and <laughs> what we're what we're what we, what we're reckoning with, and we need to reckon with, is like. The fact is, is that there are so many more people of color in our community mm-hmm. than like have ever had visible leadership roles, and that's a problem. Um, and the fact that disability, because disability has a high correlation with poverty, mm-hmm. um, I talk about it, as it's kind of a chicken-egg question. It doesn't really matter which came first, but poverty causes disability, and disability mm. causes poverty.
0: You, okay, you you're not going to be able to just say that and think that we're going we're not going to dig in. What do you mean? Like, can you can you make sure that everyone listening knows what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So so when you look at at, at you know demographic data and you look at um, where where incidents of disability are highest, mm-hmm. especially in Chicago and Cook County, those are the maps I'm most familiar with. But I have a feeling that if I looked at other maps, that would show us a the state. Yeah, across the state. Um, I lived in Peoria for a while and, and I'm pretty certain the same correlation exists there at least, and again I'm pretty sure everywhere. But if you look at where the lowest income communities are, you also have a higher incidence of disability in those communities. Hmm. And if you look at where people with disabilities tend to live, they tend to live in lower income areas. So again, and that's because, again, there's a a lot of people of color who are disabled, something like 40% at least of people with disabilities in just the Chicagoland area are people of color. Mm. Um and people of color don't well, I, I I don't know how that matches up to overall demographics, but yeah, it, it it's it's at least forty percent. I, I have a hunch it might be a little bit higher, but officially it's forty percent. Um so when we know that because black and brown communities have been, you know, discriminated against, disinvested in, you know, victims of, of redlining and all kinds of institutional racism and abuse, right? Sure. Um, so we know that black and brown communities are more likely to be lower income than white communities. It makes sense then, when you understand that poverty and disability are related, that there would be a higher incidence of disability in those communities. So there is. So mm-hmm. because, the, again, in the disability community, we, we've been late to talking about that, mm-hmm. it's, it's now a very important topic of conversation in our community.
0: And, 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 it, and it clearly w- has to be it clearly a conversation has to be, right. and it's not that lifts you, up the voices.
1: Right of and so that you know that that's leading to younger people of color mm-hmm. taking more active leadership roles in the movement and that's only that's only for the good that's only going to continue um it also means though that sometimes black and brown communities haven't always been understanding of, of that correlation either and i've heard from young activists of color with disabilities that they don't always feel at home in their communities as well. Like, you know, the, the, their community is back back home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the black community, the brown community, hasn't always understood that there's a high, high rate of disability and that those folks need to be, again, integrated, accommodated, and uplifted as leaders, right, within those communities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that as we move forward and, and that, the awareness of that intersection grows like across the board, that we'll see more, more disabled leaders talking about racial issues, and more, again, black, brown, other people of color who act active roles of leadership in the disability community as well. And yeah. that can only benefit all of us,
0: right? And do you see that same sort of correlation in some ways with the undocumented community?
1: I do. Um, so. At Access living, we we have um, a group of uh, immigrants with disabilities. Um, a lot of them are undocumented. Not all, but a lot of them are, mm-hmm. and and we we know that there's a tremendous amount of of um, you know oppression and um, stigma at that intersection. Um, I think you asked about you know what what are the barriers look like in 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 those kinds of communities. Um, a lot of the affordable housing resources that do exist have federal sources, and because they have federal sources, those programs aren't open to undocumented folks. Mm. So undocumented people with disabilities, I think, are even more likely, um, at least anecdotally, I'd probably find numbers back up if, if we looked, but at least anecdotally, <laughs> undocumented folks with disabilities are much more likely to be living with family, mm. right, doubled up or in some other arrangement that is far less than ideal, right? It's far less than a situation where they're in control, where they feel they have choice over how to how to run their own lives.
0: Yeah. And so some of the work you're doing at Access Living, um, I know you said with the immigrant community and some undocumented as well. Um, it seems like that might be another area where in terms of lifting up the voices and hearing the issues, it, it comes with, you know, in a time when a climate where some people might even be afraid to share and sort of come out of the shadows. Yeah, right. That's an mean, additional challenge. It
1: is, right? In, in the current political climate, it's really, hard, you know, understandably hard for folks to, to talk about that. Um, you know, hopefully in the future, things will change and, and it will be a little less of a stigma for folks, with undocumented, folks who are undocumented to talk about their experiences and hopefully specifically for people who are disabled and undocumented to talk about that. Um, we're not quite there yet, but um, we, you know, at least at Access Living we, we, we have places that can serve as a safe space for people to start to have those conversations with themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, a staff organizer who organizes in the, in the immigrant community. Um, and is herself a Latina with a disability, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and we're we're hoping to use that group's growing sense of like unity and purpose to you know to grow power to really start to make some changes for that community because um, they have even more barriers to think than most other communities do when it comes to really really seeing something that looks like housing justice and disability justice for at all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Adam, thank you so much for joining us for Walk, Listen, Learn, our journey to justice and for um, really helping illuminate the power of choice on this quest for justice. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. That's it for this episode of Walk, Listen, Learn our journey to justice. Until next time, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton. Thank you for walking, listening, and learning with me. Let's stay on this path towards justice, equity, and opportunity for all.